In these bleak days, humanity is at a breaking point. Economies are tanking. The woke mob is canceling everything. And the little guy who's just trying to run a small business is getting screwed from both ends. But not all is lost. Amidst the chaos, two men offer up their voices in the darkness, dropping 2,000-pound laser-guided truth bombs on today's lunacy. Introducing the Sirens of Sanity, David Pridham and L. Bradley Sheaf. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. The men at work from, uh, I think they're from down under, down in Sydney, Australia, I believe. Um, I think they're all dead now, but not from nuclear fallout, at least not yet. Well, no, but if they're dead, I think, I think they'll probably stay dead regardless of any nuclear fallout. But when they were alive, they were at work. And uh, frankly, around the globe, we have a lot of men at work, some more effectively than others. No, that's uh, that's exactly, exactly right. Welcome, everyone. You've got David Pridham here with Brad Sheaf. And, uh, you know, everyone asks, they, they stop me on the street and they say, David, wh- where can we learn more about the show? Because Brad always says that he's not on social media. You can send all of your social media inquiries to me at IP underscore frequently. I will never look at it. I don't know how to use it, but I encourage you to send whatever you think might be important to that address and certainly follow it. I mean, who knows what might get said on that uh, platform thing? Instaface, yeah, 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 exactly. Right. And and look, you can you can certainly reach us. Uh, you can DM us on the uh, Instaface. You can uh, contact us through our website, ipfrequently.com. And 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 really, we're willing. We're here as a forum for you. Should we get right into the two big news items of the week, Brad? I think we should. Good. So first, the State of the Union address by President Biden was this past week, and uh, you know, I found it quite. Um, Interesting. I, I thought it was remarkable that he was able to stay up as late as he did, because, again, uh, for a man his age, he should really be asleep uh, by around 715 Eastern time. And he had to stay awake well beyond it. But uh, well, let me start with you, Brad. What did you find most remarkable about the State of the Union speech and what was your favorite part? Well, buddy, I, I found most remarkable that most of the words seemed to be English and most of the sentences seemed to be constructed in such a way as to be interpretable by the average American citizen. So I thought that was remarkable. And of course, my favorite part was the end. Now, as with most State of the Union addresses, I did not, you know, make myself sit through it. I don't really care. It's at this point become nothing more than propaganda and seating the audience with folks you want to point out so that you can use them to make a political point. Uh, But I am curious, buddy, you're more into these things than I am. What did you think? Well, as I said, I I was amazed that the president stayed up as late as he did. I thought it was interesting um, how he is he's portraying himself as sort of a global leader along the lines of George H.W. Bush, um, who, of course, expelled the um, Iraqis from the thriving democracy uh, of Kuwait uh, several uh, decades ago Um, and uh, sort of talking about his uh, um, 
you know, his his uh, ability to to galvanize a global response to the Russian aggression in the Ukraine. So a lot of patting on the back. Uh, also, a lot of uh, talk about his domestic agenda. I thought it was nice to see uh, uh, your friend of mine, Nancy Pelosi, um, again, uh, a, a leader of women and men alike there. This may be her last uh, you know, state of the uh, state of the union. Uh, hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, but, uh, you know, who, who knows at this point? But I, I do think all in all, I would give it probably a uh, C plus. I think that's generous. I think that's generous. Again, unfortunately, the State of the Union address has ceased to be what it was intended to be, which was an actual address to the citizens of the United States by its leader, providing vision, providing guidance, providing hope, providing encouragement. I mean, it just ceased to be all those things, and it's become one long infomercial for a failed policy. Uh, But you know what? We move on. We'll just move on. Next, the Supreme Court uh, President Biden nominated Ketanji Brown Jackson for the Supreme Court. She's a district court judge, um, very, uh, very progressive, sort of an AOC, AOC type liberal. Um, and uh, she's being praised by uh, by uh, a lot of the left uh, leaning uh, um, politicians in the country as someone that's going to come into the court and probably not take it too far from where Stephen Breyer was taking it, really not going to change the uh uh, ideological makeup of the court. But at the same time, um, there were a lot of people that, uh, um, you know, uh, are heralding this pick because it is obviously the first African-American female who's been selected for the court. Um, and, and obviously, President Biden alluded to that in his State of the Union address. Where are you on this, Brad? Do you think this is a good choice? Obviously, he fulfilled his pledge to pick an African-American woman. Do you think this uh, this is a good idea? Well, honestly, I think it's unfortunate for Miss Jackson. I mean, I, I think if you look at her record, she was on her way to a nomination to the Supreme Court at some point in time, right? I mean, she sits on the D.C. Court of Appeals, I think. I, I, I'm not exactly sure. Now, her leanings are obviously far different from yours and mine, but that was a foregone conclusion, right? I mean, there was no chance that Biden was going to nominate someone who was even close to centrist, right? And so what the Senate chooses to do with the nomination, I guess we'll get to see, we'll pop some corn, we'll get behind the ropes, we'll enjoy it. But, you know, from a a perspective of bona fides, she's eminently qualified for the position. And the reason I feel bad for her is, you know, because of Biden's jackassery and saying, well, you know, in in an effort to try and pull votes, say, well, I'm going to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. Now, there will be a tagline behind Miss Jackson if she is, in fact, elevated to that court for the rest of her life, that, you know, she was the nominee that Biden had to choose because he boxed himself in and said he would pick a black female and anyone who wants to cast any kind of aspersion at Miss Jackson is going to have adequate ammo by saying, well, she was effectively a quota pick, right? You know, Biden said he was going to do it. That's what Biden did. He didn't go and look for the most qualified person. He simply picked a black female. That's who it is. And, you know, that's what we've got. And I think that is unfortunate because had Biden gone, had he initially said, Oh, I'm going to go find the most qualified person. You know, I'm, we're, we're going to put we're going to put together the best court we possibly can. 
even if in the back of his mind he was saying to himself, well, I'm going to pick a black female and get some bonus points for that with, with you know, my side of the aisle, he then could have taken the position, I have done that, and it turns out to be a black woman, and that woman is Katanji Brown Jackson, and here she is, and, and then, you know, thrown that at the Senate and said, now what are you going to do? Um, but unfortunately, the Senate, you know, and those who, who would oppose her nomination can say, well, all you did was pick someone you said you were going to pick. You did it based on race. You did it based on sex. You didn't do it based on qualifications. And, you know, Ms. Jackson's going to have to carry that with her throughout the, her her career. Should she be elevated to the Supreme Court? And should she not be, she's still going to be seen in that light. And I just, I, again, I find that unfortunate, but it is where we are in politics these days. Yeah, I think uh, I think she's. I mean, if, if Brett Kavanaugh is qualified to be on the court, she is, um, and uh, I, I and hopefully she can overcome it, right? Because Clarence Thomas was viewed as a uh, sort of an affirmative action pick when he yep. Yep. climbed to the court, and he's been terrific. Um, so hopefully, hopefully she can overcome it. I think she's going to be confirmed. I think she should be. She should get. Uh, Holy smokes, should... here! Let me give you a quick Heimlich. Here, just turn turn you back to me. Uh, uh, Okay. There we go. All right. Good on Lord. the show. Yeah. Who knew that. that you could choke on unpitted olives? My goodness. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that she uh, can can overcome this. I think she is is uh, is qualified. I think it's unfortunate what he did, but he's a numb nuts, uh, numb nuts anyway. And um, listen, I mean, the uh, princess of uh, the royal house of the Duchess of Sussex has has come out right. Meghan Markle from Megxit, Megxit. And she has supported the nomination. Um, so, I mean, that's that's really uh, enough for me. Yeah, that plus the fact that, uh, you know, a president should have deference in his Supreme Court picks. So unlike the people that made up all those boofing and uh, spoofing uh, arguments about uh, Trump's picks, I, I think this woman is qualified and should be elevated to the Supreme Court. Uh, next, Brad, we move to the we are monitoring things going around uh, on around the globe. Very, very difficult circumstances. Again, we've talked about this before, talked about it last week. Um, American Airlines uh, pilots, pilots of American Airlines have had many harrowing UFO encounters over the past several years. And you and I have talked about this before. And we're on record as saying we're concerned about it. Uh, We don't know what these UFOs are. But now there is a new report of a COVID um, interaction, an interaction during COVID, uh, it was a flight between Cincinnati and Phoenix, February 21st, Brad, 2021 has now come to light where the uh, FBI uh, has confirmed reports that American Airlines flight 2292 encountered uh, a very uh, unusual, quote unquote, target in the air. It looked like a long cylindrical object that almost looked like a cruise missile type of thing, but it was moving very fast over and above and below this uh, American Airlines jet, which I believe was an Airbus. Um, So now we're back on high alert uh, for the UFO sightings and, uh, uh, you know, obviously a big, uh, a big problem. Well, I mean, you and I are never not on high alert when it comes to UFOs. I mean, here in the studio, we have a whole section set aside. Again, if you'd like to be in the studio audience, let us know. But they can see our UFO monitoring stations that are manned 24-7, 365. We don't miss a trick when it comes to UFOs. And But I, I, you know, I think it's not a coincidence that if you go back and trace the Omicron variant, it was heavy in Cincinnati and then suddenly appeared in Phoenix. 
And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think what you see here and what, you know, many of us have known all along and many people have suspected is that the COVID is being carried around by aliens. And that's why you had to have that extra shot, right? That's why they told us, hey, if you get two two shots, yeah, then you're fine. But the extra booster kind of helps prevent the aliens from being able to spot you as a potential target of COVID. And that's also the reason for the masks, right? Because then it it kind of, you know, aliens have a hard time telling humans apart anyway. To them, we all look alike. And so if we put on these masks, then they have a hard time knowing who they've infected with the Omicron and who they haven't and who's, you know, likely to be susceptible to a new variant and who isn't. And so, you know, thank goodness this is all coming together for us. The need for a booster, the need for masks, long cylindrical objects on their way from Cincinnati to Phoenix. We've got all that covered for you here on IP Frequently. Absolutely. And you can learn more about our program on our website, IPFrequently.com. And please follow us on Instagram at IP underscore frequently. If you have something to say about the show, you can interact with us on our website. There is a feature where you can leave comments, send us emails, and we will read them on the air if we think they're worthy. Um, And uh, you can also DM us on our Instagram page at IP underscore frequently. And remember, we're here each and every week on your Saturday mornings, right in the middle of your Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 Pacific, giving you all of your news needs for the week, everything you need to hear and more for your uh, home life, your family, and uh, more importantly, your small business, helping you uh, steer clear of some of the pitfalls that other people fall into. Uh, Brad, next, uh, war raging in the Ukraine. We talked about the president's uh, State of the Union address, one of the most heartening moments uh, from this past uh, Tuesday night, Brad, was when the president talked about the Ukraine, although it was a little bit muddled and he got some of the words wrong. But uh, uh, listen, uh, the uh, the world is now sort of standing up to uh, to Putin and to the Russians. On the one hand, you've got Russian columns marching towards Kiev. On the other hand, you've got the world basically uh, isolating Russia, except for maybe uh, uh, China, Belarus, obviously, the global juggernaut, and uh, um, maybe Iran. Um, but uh, it, 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 it certainly looks like um, Putin may have uh, misinterpreted what the rest of the world, what the Europeans, what the Americans, what the rest of the world would do uh, when he uh, started maneuvers into the Ukraine. Oh, but I think that's right. And I think it's also attributable to, you know, just the amazing ability of the average person on the planet now being able to capture images and get them out. Right. I am not, as everyone who's listening to this program for three minutes knows, a fan of social media. I mean, I think that the net it is a net negative, right? That there's more negative about social media than positive. But one of the things that is positive about it is it allows people who are in the midst of crises like this to be able to show what's going on, right? And so I think Putin probably underestimated the global attention that he was going to garner and underestimated the impact that some of these you know, little video snippets or images, et cetera, um, the impact that they were going to have, as well as you know, just kind of the general ability of anyone who wants to, to look at satellite imagery, right? I mean, not long ago, the average person had no access to something like overhead imagery in order to be able to see kind of what was going on on a broad scale. And now you've got folks publishing that all over the place, showing these long lines of tanks, et cetera. 
that are lined up and, you know, moving in different directions around Ukraine. And, and I don't think Putin was prepared to handle that. I mean, he runs a tight ship inside of Russia and he doesn't allow, you know, much like the Chinese, much like the North Koreans, he doesn't allow a narrative that he doesn't want to see played out inside of his own house. Right. But now he's not inside of his own house and he's got problems. Right. I mean, he's he's got the world paying attention to what is, you know, obviously a violation of the Ukraine sovereignty, but worse than that, a violation of, you know, civil rights, human rights, you know, there's obviously been allegations of war crimes there, probably well-founded. And, you know, he's got all of that to deal with, plus the ability of the international community to take action against him and his crew financially. I mean, you got all these reports of these giant yachts being seized and vacation homes being seized. And eventually, uh, you know, the folks that own those things and, and probably own them because of their allegiance to Putin are going to start looking at him going, hey, bud, you know, what exactly are we getting out of the Ukraine that is worth my yacht? Because yeah. if you're a person who's willing to take a yacht from a dictator, that yacht is what you care about. I think I think uh, I think there's a lot there. Right. So one, he uh, his perception of what would happen when he rolled into the Ukraine was poorly founded, right? I think he thought, much like we thought when we rolled into Iraq, uh, that he was going to be welcomed with flowers and people running to the streets. That didn't happen. The opposite happened. And, and when you have tanks being surrounded by um, people and not soldiers, and people are just standing up to them, creating this massive uh, you know, Tiananmen Square-like visual, uh, it's difficult for those tanks to do anything, right? They're not going to go and roll over uh, 50-year-old uh, grandmothers or 60-year-old grandmothers. So I think that's I think that's one thing. And I think also he misinterpreted what the international community would do, right? Like taking Russia out of the SWIFT network, um, basically seizing assets of all these oligarchs, right? Um, to the point where I mean, even the owner of the Chelsea uh, soccer team had to um, basically turn his interest over to a nonprofit uh, because he was not going to be able to uh, continue to, to, to own that team. Um, Putin's assets, uh, his deputies' assets have all been either seized or frozen. Uh, and then the private sector has also come together and, uh, um, you know, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, not uh, no longer, um, you know, servicing Russia, Russian. I mean, the ruble is down to a penny, right? Uh, the value of the ruble is down to a penny. So these these sanctions, which are in their infancy, are really probably the most powerful sanctions I've ever seen. Now, there are huge gaping holes in them, right? I mean, Russia can still be part of the SWIFT network for purposes of um, transactions related to energy because Europe is heavily dependent on Russian uh, um, natural gas and, and, and uh, resources from Russia. Um, so there's still other things to do. But for me, the, the, the enduring image of this conflict that's been most impressive are the Russian or, I'm sorry, the Ukrainian citizens who are sort of galvanizing together to to fight uh, to fight Russia. My favorite story thus far um, came from you know some some social media post and had some woman who was handing uh, Russian soldiers sunflower seeds and telling them put these in your pocket so that when you die on Ukrainian soil the flowers will grow. I mean that is a ballsy, b funny. And C gives you a little bit of an insight into what the citizens of the Ukraine think and the extent to which they're willing to stand up um, to this opposition. And, and you, you know, luckily be imaged, videoed, pictures taken, doing precisely that. Even if Putin were successful at taking down 
Kiev and you know, some of the other cities and quote unquote occupying the Ukraine, it, it's never going to capitulate to him the way he would need it to for him to somehow change the narrative here. The narrative is always going to be bad for him. Um, so it almost seems like if he is playing with a full deck, which he may not be, um, you know, it, 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 negotiating the best deal possible makes the most sense. But again, rationality is not always his, uh, his uh, home base. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see what he does, right? Because one, I don't know. I mean, maybe you're more aware of than I am. I took a look around. I'm not sure exactly. I mean, I know what he said and I know what the the narrative is and I know what the propaganda is, but I'm not sure exactly what he's trying to get out of this. I mean, maybe what he was hoping was that the, at least a portion of the Ukrainian citizen was going to welcome him with open arms and, you know, he could slowly build up, you know, kind of an empire again, almost like the USSR. And he maybe thought the Ukraine was a good place to take that first step. Obviously, Belarus which is like, you know, the little in every movie with an evil villain, there is always the little Weasley sidekick, right? And so Belarus is very effectively playing that role. And, you know, I, I, so I'm not exactly sure what he thought he was doing, but whatever he thought he was doing, it's certainly not working out like he hoped. And he's got the military power to crush the Ukraine if he wants to continue down this path. But it, it is, as you point out, it's not working out well for him. And it'll be interesting to see what he does in a, you know, to try and save face and save his position within Russia and, you know, kind of continue to be perceived as as meaningful on the world stage, because he is nothing if not crafty, the guy. And, And it'll be interesting to see what lessons get learned by other dictators around the globe about how realpolitik plays out in a modern world where everybody's got a cell phone, communication is instantaneous, images are everywhere. It'll just be interesting to see how all of that plays out. Well, look, you see, um, <laughs> you sort of see some of these world leaders, um, you know, trying to interpret what's going to happen and position themselves vis-a-vis Russia, right? Some of the great, uh, the great diplomats of our time. So obviously Donald Trump, when Putin went in there with his quote unquote peacekeeping forces to start this thing, he called it genius and said it was a very savvy mood move by Putin to do that, which obviously is not uh, ideal. And then Hillary Clinton came out and she said that uh, um, it just literally can't even take a moment to let anything go. She attacked Trump um, for calling Putin a genius. And then she said he probably likes Putin because um, much like the Russians, uh, Trump is anti-gay. Well, listen, uh, as we uh, as we go to uh, press here this week, a couple other things. Vladimir Putin has apparently moved his entire family, including pets, Brad, including pets, to the uh, to a Siberian underground city uh, designed to survive a nuclear war. I suppose that's why you would go underground. He has lost his. I mean, a number of sanctions. He's lost a, a, you know, hundreds of millions, if not more, of dollars in overseas accounts, or at least it's been frozen. He has been stripped of his honorary Taekwondo black belt, which, of course, uh, means that only one world leader still has his black belt, and that would be one uh, Donald Trump. And uh, apparently, Brad, there is a problem with his uh, uh, with some of his generals and or, or you know, whatever the successor was to the KGB potentially uh, trying to elbow him out. I don't know how uh, 
easy that's going to be or if it is or isn't. But uh, it looks like uh, if Putin doesn't get this thing resolved one way or the other, one way or the other pretty quickly, he could uh, be uh, in for some internal turmoil within the Kremlin. Well, but I mean, this is always the way it works, right? I mean, if you're a dictator, you're one effed up situation away from having your head on a stake and someone else stepping into your very comfortable shoes, right? I mean, that is just, that is the way that has worked from time immemorial, right? So while you're a strong man, you know, the going is, is easy and the getting is good, but as soon as you show weakness, as soon as you miscalculate and make a mistake, which it appears that Putin may have done, then everybody who's been kissing your ass for years and years is suddenly looking to put theirs in your seat. Right? And so that's a very uncomfortable place to be. And unfortunately, it could force Putin to miscalculate again in an effort to you know, kind of maintain his strong position, maintain his you know, strong man dictatorial uh, posture. And you know, who knows what happens then if he feels like I got to do something dramatic in order to, to stay where I am. And that's a good point. Now, one of the most tragic and, and we leave uh, as we wind up our discussion on the Ukraine. One of the most tragic things, obviously, is related to the great uh, action star Steven Seagal. Of course, Steven Seagal was banned uh, or barred from the Ukraine in 2017 after uh, President uh, Vladimir Putin gave him a Russian passport as a as a uh, sort of a place of honor. Um, he recently has now come out and he spoke out of the Ukrainian conflict, saying that uh, he has friends and family in Russia and Ukraine. He believes that it is one big happy family and they are not uh, at war. And he, he actually said, look, a lot of outside uh, entities are, quote, spending huge sums of money on propaganda to provoke these two countries to be at odds with, with each other. Um, again, the 69-year-old, uh, one of the great, uh, hard to kill, Brad, hard to kill, yeah, Stephen right, Seagal, right, under yeah. siege. Um, uh, you know, he, he is not, he is not uh, enlisted yet, but I suppose that could happen. It would probably be on the side of the Ruskies. Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, while he may be hard to kill, uh, he's also hard to comprehend, right? And so my suggestion for Mr. Seagal would be the same as Mr. Robertson. Why don't you join Pat in a comfortable chair watching the daytime TV and, you know, stay out of the public limelight. Now, Stay out the bushes. Exactly. And, you know, I guess if you want to be fair, you kind of have to look at what he's saying and wonder to yourself who would be putting a ton of money into getting Russia to invade the Ukraine? Who would benefit from that? And the answer, of course, is other than Putin, no one. Right. I mean, oh. if you've got millions and millions and you're trying to drive two nations into conflict with each other, I don't think you're looking hard at the Russia-Ukraine conflict. So, Stephen, appreciate you poking your head out of your hole. Why don't you crawl back in there? Again, Pat's got the daytime TV on. He's having a nice bowl of oatmeal. You should join him. Well, listen, Brad, we don't want to, we don't want to leave it on a down note. And, of course, Stephen Seagal, one of the great action stars of all time, of all time. Um, we will go to a new report out in the land of science, Brad, that, uh, and, and this is a study that sort of went a different direction than they thought it would go. Uh, apparently chimpanzees, Brad, chimpanzees in the central uh, African rainforest were being observed for many years by a group out of National Geographic. 
National mm-hmm. Geographic. And uh, what they determined is that uh, um, uh, chimpanzees, and I'm quoting from the report, um, with open wounds would snag an insect from under the leaves or branches of a tree. They would whip the bug into their mouths and then they would apply the leaf with the bug to their wound and to the wound of other chimpanzees. Um, They're not swallowing the bugs, Brad. They are using the bugs along with the leaves to perform first aid, first aid on on other chimpanzees and themselves. So basically this study, which uh, started to observe the Ozuga chimpanzees in Gabon, of course, um, as part of the Ozuga chimpanzee project, um, deviated and became a study in chimpanzee first aid. And so chimpanzees, Brad, um, are providing uh, first aid to one another. These are, of course, the chimpanzees living in Luango National Park. Uh, don't know if it happens other places, but this is a nice feel-good story as we transition from the Ukraine and from Steven Seagal. But I I certainly agree with the transition, and I think that's probably why, and you and I have both been asked this by our our listenership, why we can't find that one monkey that escaped from Pennsylvania. It's because he's an expert in first aid. It doesn't matter what happens to him. He's got got a solution for it. He's going to be able to put a bug on it. He's going to be able to build a splint. He's probably already got a respirator built in case he gets COVID. I mean, monkeys are serious about their first aid. Again, you can learn more about us on our website, ipfrequently.com, spelled like it sounds. Also, follow us on Instagram at IP underscore frequently. Every single week we're here, and uh, we are now leading you into the final segment. We're going to the COVID report, and obviously you and I have been talking for weeks about the Academic Journal's publication of the Proceedings of Royal Society B. This is their big study into uh, immune systems. And, and for this study, obviously, um, the, uh, uh, the group at Royal Society B recruited 79 women and 80 men at Texas Christian University, uh, asked them to have their blood tested and their photos taken to determine if attractive people, Brad, have better immune systems than ugly people. And in fact, the research is in. The folks at uh, Royal Society B have published it. And they uh, did determine, in fact, that um, attractive people have stronger immune systems than uh, people who are homely. Um, This is a peer-reviewed study, at least that's my understanding, could be wrong, Um, but uh, very interesting. And, um, and, and, And look, I think this shows one, while you, while you and I really weren't impacted by the coronavirus strain. Um, and, uh, and two, the fact that, um, you know, there is a benefit to being really good looking. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not sure why this question was asked. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure why Royal Society B, I mean, maybe that's why they're not Royal Society A is that they Mm -hmm. get handed these, you know, sort of second tier questions. Um, but I'm glad that we have resolution to it, my friend. I mean, this is one more thing that we can just put a pin in. And I mean, there's a there's a good reason why, you know, you and I are on the radio and not on TV. But regardless, we, we, we yeah, cable radio. Indeed, we, we have survived. Yep. And so our immune systems are at least, you know, moderate. And I think that's a uh, you know fair description for for you and I. But again, I, I'm glad this question has been asked and answered. And now we can all move on and 
you know, when you see someone who is good looking, and obviously that's in the eye of the beholder. And so I'm not really sure exactly how you take a scientific approach to a subjective question, such as whether or not someone is good looking. I mean, obviously both you and I have coaxed very good looking women into marrying us somehow. And so, you know, sort of proof of uh, that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But again, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad the money was spent. I'm glad the time was spent. I'm glad well these, spent. Yes. you know, 159 people had their blood drawn so we could get this whole thing figured out. And listen, Brad, and, I can uh, I can give you a little more uh, color into this. I mean, obviously, the scientific method was applied. The participants in the study against 79 women, 80 men, all from TCU, were photographed from the neck up. They were ordered to keep a neutral face expression during the photograph. Okay, and uh, the women were not allowed to wear makeup. The men, of course, were. And um, each uh, participant then had 85 milliliters of blood drawn for testing. What they did is they took those photos, Brad, they developed them down Mm -hmm. at the photo lab. Mm -hmm. And uh, then they had 492 other volunteers who were asked to rate the facial attractiveness of those 159 participants based on just the photographs that were taken. I believe there may have been a meet and greet before that, Brad, but I'm not sure. But again, those 492 separate and apart from the 159 um, basically judged if those people were attractive. And then the researchers uh, collated those ratings and cross-examined them with the results of the blood tests. We're worse off than when we started. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, now you've got all these questions being begged. Right. And so, you know, who are these 492 people to judge? I mean, are they attractive? Might they have been a little jealous? Are they Could from TCU? Influ- who, knows? Are they from T- who knows? Could yeah. that have influenced the results? What about so? And we're just limited now to people who apparently we're not sure, but apparently are facially more attractive, potentially having better immune systems. But what if they're just butt ugly from the neck down? I mean, what now? Should we get that question answered? You've got all kinds of permutations here. What if you're facially attractive, but butt ugly from the neck down? What if you're the opposite, right? Very attractive from the neck down, butt ugly, you know, paper bag ugly from the neck up. What if you're both? What if you're neither? I mean, we just opened up a Pandora's box that now we have to get to the bottom of before we'll figure out who's got the best immune system. So frankly, I think this experiment has actually set us back from where we were before these results came out. Well, listen, you wouldn't know that by talking to the leader of the study of the Royal Society, Summer Mengelcock, who uh, said, quote, people- <laughs> Of course he is. Who said, quote, people who go out to a bar looking to talk to someone attractive are often dismissed, Brad, as being shallow and told it's not all about looks, but maybe it is. They're really just following their instincts to find a high quality mate with a good immune system. So again, Brad, Summer, Summer Mengelcock has weighed in. The, uh, the results of the uh, study are in, and uh, this is why you and I are really sitting in the catbird seat, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, Brad, let's move on. The Royal Report. Again, lots of things going on. Last week, the Queen was, on, was knocking on death's door. This week, she has fully recovered. Uh, nine days uh, after catching COVID, she is back to um, performing her royal duties. She hosted, Brad, two virtual meetings this week with foreign ambassadors at Windsor Windsor Castle. Virtually, she expressed her um, uh, goodwill and good luck to the people of of the Ukraine. Um, And uh, again, this came after a couple of weeks ago, she tested positive 
for COVID after it was uh, intentionally given to her by Prince Charles and the Duchess of Cornhole, who I also think would uh, would benefit from seeing that mental cock on Mars. Uh, yeah, I mean, it might uh, it might prove to be overly just dis- of a distractive nature for her. Secondly, I'm not at all concerned about the queen knocking on death's door. She does that regularly. When death opens the door, she just looks at it and says, hey, you can go F yourself. She's been doing that for 95 years. She enjoys it. So don't anyone ever be alarmed. The queen knows what she is doing when she is knocking on that door. She is now laughing to herself about the failed attempt to bring her down with COVID. That was never going to happen. And I'm sure the people of the Ukraine appreciate it. Uh, hearing her express her goodwill. I mean, this is a woman who has managed a sovereign nation through a number of armed conflicts. She knows of what she speaks. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful woman. And uh, look, I would say this, truly a um, world-class leader. Some would say leader of men, others would not, Brad. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're very uh, lucky and fortunate to have her as our sovereign. Um. Yeah, so to speak, kind of the uh, the virtual sovereign of the program. Correct. Absolutely yeah. correct. Yeah. Absolutely mm-hmm. correct. Um, next, Brad, we go to part of the uh, uh, obviously the Queen's uh, loving family. Um, and look, just because Prince Charles, soon to be king, maybe and the Duchess and the Duchess of Cornhole are playing a game with COVID, doesn't make them any less sovereign than they are. And this week, while the Queen was recovering, Prince Charles graciously returned to the Klosters uh, Ski Resort. This is, uh, of course, the ski resort in a remote area of Switzerland. I believe you've been there before, Brad. Is that correct? I don't think so, buddy. I've never skied in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Again, that's neither here nor there. Um, but apparently, um, he now has returned to the Klosters. He went there before with um, uh, his lovely uh, wife, uh, Princess Diana, who is, of course, now dead. Um, and, and actually, the last time he was there, his best friend, Major Hugh Lindsay, um, was killed by a massive avalanche, um, along with dozens of other people. But now Charles is back at the Klosters skiing. Uh, Duchess of Cornhole is there, although I don't know, Brad, if she skis or not. Do you know? I don't know. She may snowboard. Yeah, well, she's terrific. I mean, she, she certainly sleds. I'm not sure what that means, but uh, yeah, she obviously will um, be queen one day. Um, So, so do do you think it's in good taste that he is skimming? He look, he is a monarch. Of course he should be skiing in the Swiss Alps. Yeah. I mean, what else would you do? Um, Doesn't seem like a particularly lucky spot for Prince Charles, given that he lost his best friend there. But you know what? Prince Charles is nothing if not able to overcome other people's discomfort in order to increase his own, right? I mean, that that you can count on Chuck for. Uh, he's not terribly concerned about his mom. He's not terribly concerned about his best friend. He's not terribly concerned about his ex-wife. What Chuck is concerned about is his own enjoyment. And so he is enjoying the Klosters, I'm sure, like a gentleman, his wife sledding down the hill, probably on one of those round silver saucers like you saw on Christmas Vacation. And, uh, you know, Chuck is skiing like a gentleman. Yeah. And look, um, by the way, that was a terrific film. Um, and again, this is where um, the Klosters is a, a, a terrific uh, place where family and friends can come together and uh, 
you know, enjoy themselves. And, and he has done that. Obviously, most of the people he's gone there with are dead. Um, but that's no reason to um, shy just away stop from going. the fact that, yeah, 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 yeah why not? He it. likes it. I mean, I would just keep it up. Yeah. That's, that's the message here. Uh, next, Brad, uh, staying on the Royals. Now, listen, Prince Andrew, who, of course, has settled that big um, sex trafficking case. He's now uh, trying to reemerge. It's been what, five or six days. Um, his mother is uh, knocking on death's door and recovering. Uh, Prince Andrew now believes that, quote, he has a lot to offer public life despite the settlement for the sex trafficking charges. And he may try to, quote, reinvent himself by helping sex trafficking victims across the globe. Um, Brad, do you think that this is a good idea? Do you think uh, he should just have gone skiing with Prince Charles? Um, what, what do you think here? Well, but if there's a chance of an avalanche, then I'd like to see Prince Andrew in that region, right? I mean, I think many of us would. Um, the old saw fox in the hen house comes to mind. I, I, I will, I, I, you gotta sort of tip your cap to guys like Prince Andrew, right? I mean, his ability to delude himself is nothing short of amazing, right? I mean, his his tone deafness Hello. and self-delusion to think that, you know, all he's got to do is, you know, stay inside his house long enough to have a cup of coffee. And then he's going to poke his head out and say, hey, if anybody needs a former sex trafficker and pedophile <laughs> on their anti-sex trafficking team, I'm your guy, and that the phone's going to start ringing. I, I, I mean, imagine what it must take to convince yourself of that. And Andrew has it. So, I mean, again, but I think you got to tip your cap. Yeah. I mean, I, I give him credit, uh, Brad. He could be back um, very soon. And obviously, what better person to handle a you know, victim of sex trafficking than Prince Andrew. Uh, next, Brad, finally, we, we get to the end of the show. Everyone's writing things down. Um, very exciting times here at uh, the, the big program. Again, we mean business at IP frequently, Brad. We, we do. Um, barred or banned next week, Brad and I will be live at the Stevie Awards with our lovely wives walking the red carpet. Um, some would say styling and profiling. There is a rumor that we could win. We're in line for right? A gold Stevie. Don't know if we're going to get it. Uh, but right now, bronze Stevie barter band. This is the segment where Brad and I go back and forth. We debate a hot button issue of the day and we decide whether it should be barred or banned or neither. Right. Very simple. Uh, last week, obviously, we got a little ambitious ahead of our skis. We had three different items that were subject to the barring or the banning or the neither or the both. And uh, this week, we're going to take a little step back, Brad, a little step back and try to determine if um, one item should be um, barred or banned or neither or both. Um, so this week, Brad, are you ready for it? Are you excited? Are you pumped? I'm ready. I'm fired up. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, murder um, for in response to texting. Murder in response to texting. That is the issue this week. Should uh, murder be justifiable if someone is bothering you by texting? And let me give you a little more color on this. Okay, before you dive in and say barred or banned or neither, Curtis Reeves, he is a retired Florida police captain, obviously from the Tampa area. I think you know him, Brad, from your time in law enforcement as a spook. Um, he was inside a movie theater in 2014, and he encountered a 43-year-old Chad Olson 
Um, <clears throat> they were actually, actually, ironically enough, watching a matinee screening of the film Lone Survivor, mm. um, of course, in Pasco County, where I believe it was playing at 120 that day. And um, the, the, the two sides, there's a big trial that just took place. The two sides agreed on certain stipulated facts. Um, both were in the movie theater. Reeves asked Olson to stop texting during the movie because apparently Olson was texting and he was making this weird clicking sound. Um, and Olson would not do it. Um, and then um, Reeves uh, shot him and killed him in the movie theater because of the texting. Um, he uh, went to trial. And the jury acquitted him, Brad. They acquitted him, um, basically, you know, saying that uh, you know there may have been a little scuffle and maybe there was self-defense. His entire defense was predicated on the fact that this texting was annoying, and basically he had the right to shoot this guy. And so, look, and prosecutors countered. And they said no, his ego was bruised when apparently Olson threw some popcorn in his face, but there was no real threat other than those kernels of corn, which is you and I know. Can get salty, yeah. covered in butter. Butter can butter can sting, um, and they get stuck in your teeth. Yeah, that's the worst part. That's yeah. the worst part. That is the worst part. So look, uh, Olson was shot. He died on the way to the hospital, smiling after the verdict. Uh, Officer Reeves embraced his family and friends. He uh, thanked the six-person jury. It was a three and a half hour deliberation. He said, "Quote: This is great. It's been a long eight years. I've put up with a lot." I'm so glad it's over with. Um, so, Brad, there's the question for you. The um, the, uh, the 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 uh, texting. Uh, you know, should you be allowed to shoot someone if you don't like the fact that they're texting? As you pointed out, popcorn is not necessarily dangerous, but can be. And we don't know whether or not uh, the uh, the accused was trying to shoot the popcorn. Perhaps. I mean, you know, he had experience with. The weapon, apparently, and maybe he was just trying to deflect the popcorn, much as NASA is trying to deflect the asteroid. Nobody faults NASA. I'm not sure we can fault that. But I think at the end of the day, even when you take all of those things into account, I would say that shooting someone for texting in a movie should be barred and probably banned. I mean, you are allowed to express your discontent. You are perhaps even allowed to do so more than once. Um, but after that, you're going to get to the potentially dangerous popcorn slinging and perhaps pejorative name calling. And, you know, you and I just want nothing to do with any of that. Certainly that would lead to a homicide. Well, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to differ with you. I'm going to say you should neither be barred or banned. I'm going to say that. And then perhaps you don't know all the facts. Um, his lawyers argued um, that. uh his police training again. This guy Reeves is seventy nine years old. The victim was in his his forties. Um, his his Reeves police training is what uh, informed his decision to open fire. He believed his life was in danger when the victim threw a container of popcorn at his face and appeared that he was preparing to climb over the seat and attack him. So he dropped him. He shot him. Uh, he shouldn't have been texting in the first place. And look, you, know, you go to the movie. You go to the matinee. Um, you recognize that that is a haven for senior citizens. And uh, this gentleman is going to do no time. Well, and, and again, I mean, you don't know uh, the police training is viable. I mean, you don't know what happened on the I'm being assaulted by popcorn range, which yeah. I'm sure uh, was part of his training. I mean, they also probably had ranges where he was pelted with uh, ripened fruit. And so maybe that's a uh, maybe that's a viable defense. I just don't know. I, I never experienced that myself. 
Uh, but we'll take some time here as we wrap up the program. We'll talk to our studio audience. We'll get their feel. And uh, perhaps we'll readdress this issue next week on IP Frequently. This has been IP Frequently. Once again, clearing a forest of lies with the machete of truth. You're welcome.